this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast today we have a special crossover episode featuring the hindu's pale a weekly podcast that brings together subject experts to discuss issues of public interest in depth and from multiple perspectives In this bonus episode from the Pale podcast we have our host Shiv Sahai Singh in conversation with Surajit Chandra Mukhopadhyay and Sandeep Roy on whether the Bhadralok intellectual culture in Bengal has faded. We hope you like this episode. You can subscribe to Pale by the Hindu from the links in the show notes. Welcome to the Hindu Pale podcast. This is Shiv Sahai. With me are two guests uh Professor Surajit Singh Mukhopadhyay and author and journalist Sandeep Roy. Over the next few minutes we are going to discuss an interesting issue has the bhadralok culture in west bengal faded or is on a decline let me put the first question what is this culture you know it's very difficult to explain it to somebody who is not from the state is it an imagined idea or an elitist concept uh, or is it just a cultural cliche and what reflections do we find on the ground uh, about it may politically culturally so i would love to hear uh, from you people uh you see the bhadralok historically composed was composed of three castes uh the three castes which are available in bengal the brahmin the vaidya and the uh, the kaistha so these are the three castes which uh, would be in caste terms the bhadralok and it and it evolves through colonial intervention in the sense that uh the caste transforms into what we call in sociology a status group so people from other caste could theoretically speaking like in class join the bhadralok if they had certain kind of attributes now if you take it literally it just means being gentlemanly right to be bhadro is to be gentleman the opposite of which is a chotalok Now, if you look at again the caste uh, combination of the chaturlok, then there are people who belong to the so-called shudras and the namoshudras and the outcasts. But in in everyday parlance, as it evolves, right? Especially as I said, through the colonial intervention, and also because of the way in which the reforms in Bengal took place, there were certain normative discourses emerging. which became the more kind of uh, defining feature of the bhadralok so on an everyday basis we can say you are not behaving like a bhadralok you are not conforming to certain normative ideals and these ideals are applicable both in public sphere as well as in the private sphere so when we are let us say going out uh, you know in a in a train or in a bus or, a, or walking in the street we are supposed to maintain certain normative you know rules certain normative ideas of walking enjoying the ride together you know occupying the same space etc and we violate that then we violate a normative rule so the bhadralok in that sense is a normative uh, you know discourse uh, beginning with caste but not necessarily confined to caste so let's put it this way Mr. Roy, uh, we'd love to hear your views. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely agree that uh, Bhadralok 
is about caste, but not limited to caste, as in you can have people from the upper caste who are not Bhadralok, and other people can aspire to become Bhadralokes. But it is definitely a very uh, Bengali and you could almost say an elitist construct in the same way, in the same way that Bengalis like to divide the world into Bengalis and non-Bengalis, and they are the only people in India who do so. They similarly divide the world into Bhadralok and actually its counterpart Chotolok, which we don't often think about. I mean, we don't often think that when we are calling ourselves Bhadralok, that that there that we are by default calling people who are not of our sort of class and educational background as uh, as a choto look and i remember that the the writer um monoranjan bapari who's an award-winning writer now a politician he used to always complain uh he was he would say that i i was never read by the bhadra look because i am the choto look which you could sort of translate as subaltern you know, they would see me with a, with a gamcha around my neck and wonder how could somebody like me write books. So, so you're sort of invisible to that Bhadralok elite. And that is something, and to going to your uh, question, Shiv, I mean, I think because the Bhadralok, by way of its education, I mean, it is very much a, comes from the colonial construct because Bhadro, as, as we were saying, means is about manners. And it was that Babu who knew the man, who knew had the proper manners and could engage with the colonial masters was influenced by you know the Brahmo Renaissance and all of that was happening. So all of that played into construction of the Bhadralok, and they could erect these walls by which they could keep the other people out. Now, with the way politics has evolved in this state, um, the all the other people actually probably count for much more in the voting on the voting thing than the sort of than the bhadralok's in in kolkata so even though they culturally they maintain a kind of still maintain a kind of monopoly in real terms they don't which is why i mean 30 years ago uh, most people in most bhadralok in kolkata would have no idea that there were uh, groups like uh, rajbongshi and matua and all and that politicians are now going after them to you know as as a voting block and things most people would not have any idea they would say what are those you know what kind of surnames are those so that has the reality on the ground has changed um the bhadralok will still cling to the bhadralok spheres like the calcutta club or bengal club and and restrict entry to that but their relevance is obviously changed by the sheer demographics of what is going around them and it's worth noticing that when noting that when Mamata Banerjee first came onto the scene, the big thing against her was that she was not Bhadro Lok or Bhadro Mohila enough as compared to her predecessor, Buddhadev Bhattacharya, who was translating Russian poetry and so was like a quintessential starch Bhadro Lok. Right. So, uh, you know, we uh, get an idea that it is, it, is a, uh, it is a concept and starts from caste. But, uh, you know, when we look at, there is a slide in the cultural aspect, you know, the cinema, uh, the cinema which we are, which is being produced here, the books, and, you know, you refer to the political situation, the political situation is also not uh, great that we can boast, boast of, particularly the violence. So, if there has been a slide, when did this slide happen? And what triggered it? Yeah, I would agree with what, where Sundip left off. I think that the demographics have overtaken the Bhadralok. 
you know, Joya Chatterjee, a very um, important historian of our times, uh, she has a very definitive work on the Bhadralok. And uh, Joya says that the Bhadralok's era is over, and I would like to agree with that. Uh, for a simple reason, if you look at the Bengal uh, societal power hierarchy, uh, politically, maybe still the Bhadralok is in around political power, but they had never enjoyed economic power. The Bhadralok, when they were settled in by the colonial uh, dispensation, uh, did not know how to grab on to political power, which is ironic because you know the Indian National Congress begins with the Bhadralok as and Banerjee and all that kind of stuff, and uh, freedom struggle was obviously dominated by. Uh, Bengalis and, and and the leadership was with Bhadralok. But post-independence, you don't see any Bhadralok in that sense uh, or, or people uh, who are commanding the heights of the economy simply because they had no clue about the economy. Now, once 1991 kicks in, you know, the liberal economy era or what we now know as the neoliberal era, you see, it's all lost because now, as uh, you know, this philosopher Michael Sandel says, we have moved from a market economy to a market society. And at the same time, I would also say that we have also moved from the elite concept of what democracy is to a more kind of rough and tumble of, of democracy, a very messy democracy in, in which the subaltern uh, and others who relate to the subalterns have found their place. And rightly so, because that is democracy. I mean, after all, you, you, you can't have an elitist uh, idea of democracy and still call it a democracy. So if you say slide back, well, that's, that's, that, that's a value you are adding. You're saying that you know, they should have continued. And that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen because you see, uh, you know, one thing is constant in society, which is change. You you can't hold on to something that began with Ramon Roy, with Dashagor uh, reforms, uh, learning of English, uh, the coming of age of the mercantile banks, etc., where the Bengalis would be uh, absorbed and employed right up to Assam, you know, in the tea gardens. You see, you see, all of these were controlled in the sense by managerial uh, classes who were not you know, uh, uh, very different from the Badrulok uh, Bengali. So this professional kind of aspect, I mean, I mean, you know, they are now comp- in, in a competitive world. And so therefore, to say that there is a slide uh, back, I would say presumes that it could have held its own and that it, the status quo could have ha- uh, held on its own and would have gone forward, which I don't think happens. Number two, you know, the rough and tumble of democracy, which I talk about. I mean, there are many other groups like Aswandip said, the Matuas, the Rajbongshis, the coach and others. They're all saying, well, you know, we're putting up our hands, you know, we are there and we are here to stay. And this is a kind of our region we, where we are dominant and therefore what we say should count. And I think that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And I, I think the trigger for that would have been the Gorkha movement in the hills in the 80s and, and right up to the early 90s. The Gorkha is saying, we are Gorkhas, all right? Not only Nepalese, but we are Gorkhas, very important. And they were making a distinction between the Nepalese. So identity politics, as we say, has become very important uh, competitor to Bhadraluk. So the status group, the Bhadraluk status group, is confronted by identities. And identities are multiple identities. I mean, you know, I can be a coach and be a Bengali, or I can be a coach and be an SMEs, or, you know, I can be 
a tribal and and see myself as belonging to uh, the santal parganas which is neither jharkhand nor bengal but that's my ancestral land uh, it's how i privilege my identity so so identity politics has become a reality right and on the one hand and on the other the third aspect as, as i hinted is that we have become a market uh, society everything is transactional and therefore people with much more money power will obviously overwhelm the Beng- the bengali uh, bhadralok because the bengali bhadralok never had money to begin with right it had a cultural capital a cultural capital and it used this cultural capital for a long period of time and i'm i would say is is brilliant that for a long period of time such a long period of time that cultural capital uh, could be held on to uh, by, by 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 the people who were uh, creating that capital and holding on to it, right? And I see the last of the Mohicans would be, let's say, if you talk about films, is Sotajit Rai. You know, if you if you look at any one of his cinema, and there is this very distinct Bhadralok thing that comes up. I mean, you know, if, let's say the detective novel uh, where Feluda is a detective, yes, right? Th- that is the point I, I would, uh, you know, that, you know, ask Shundip, uh, uh, Shundip Babu to, you know, intervene and as to what uh, he feels about whether there has been a stride or a yeah, status sure. quo. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anytime I'm asked to say anything that relates to Shottujit Rai, I, I always have to clarify, especially to people who can't see you as in a podcast. Yes. That I am from yes. Detroit, but I am not his son. <laughs> not his yes. son. Yes. Which in a city like Kolkata, in a Bhadralok city like Kolkata, it leads to profound disappointment many times where people are expecting, <laughs> expecting no, no, a quintessential Bhadralok son to arrive. Right. But, right. but, but I am not uh, that from Detroit. But that is a, a, a good point. I think uh, what Shurujit uh, was saying, they. they somehow that it was always about cultural capital. In fact, the Bhadralok was supposed to be the stereotypically, notoriously, um, you know, turned up their nose at money. And, uh, and you know, there was always the accusation that the Bhadralok, because it had, they had come from a class of people who had been trained by the British to be, be go-betweens managers, were better at executing things than in making money, establishing businesses and, and doing all of that. And, and I think a lot of people thought of someone like Pranav Mukherjee, our former president, as the quintessential Bhadralok, who by sheer dint of survival had, you know, had such a long and illustrious career in politics. You know, he had lasted through so many different uh, people and, and managed to have the year of so many different dispensations. Now, in terms of the cultural uh, slide, I think nothing uh, characterizes this more than the fact that at the same time as there is still enormous nostalgia and romanticization of, say, Shottujit uh, Rai, and maybe, if, if I, I draw an extension from the Shurajit, maybe Rituparno Ghosh in the brief career was regarded as I mean, in recent times, as the one who could have taken Shottujitra's mantle. But in a sense, all of this is about people keep looking for another Shottujitra type person. You know, we hold that as the benchmark, even though, I I mean, it, it's up for debate as to whether if a, if someone of Shottujitra's Bhajralok sensibilities was making his films now, whether they would be enormously popular or not, because the culture and society has moved on, 
as is evident from the fact that during that last election campaign, the communists who had sneered at Mamata Banerjee's lack of Bhadralok skills and her epang jopang type poem. Yes. And, you yes. know, they, they, as their anthem, they selected this very sort of raunchy song called Tumpatona. I mean, you, you could imagine uh, Jyoti Babu turning in his grave if he was in a grave. So, he heard as saying, what is like, going on? Well, as if what is Tumpatona. So, yes, in a sense, yeah. everybody has read the writing on the wall that, you know, we, we, can, we can do our Shotojit Rai puja if we need to. And, you know, celebrate his centenary and be very worshipful of the fact. But in terms of what is going to play on the field and get you power, it is probably going to be more like a Tumpashana. Right. So, you know, we'll uh, go back to the first thing which you said. So, you know, do we at this moment, do we need to look at uh, Bengal from the narrow prism of Bhadralok and exclude the kind of majority of population as both of you are suggesting? And uh, is it is it the time, or have we actually moved away from that cultural cliche, or you know, just by uh, uh, focusing on one segment of population also, has we have we you know have people done, or have we done a kind of you know disservice to the huge diversity? As we were telling that we have we have different multiple identities, coach, Rajbongshis, people in in tribal population, the Gurkhas, and, and, and so many people. So has this term lived its life and now, you know, we can do away with this? Uh, well, we want to do away or not, it doesn't depend on us. We don't, we are not agents of change in that sense. I mean, it, it happens, it evolves, it overwhelms us at times, and then we become both perpetrators and victims, both at the same time. Now, I mean, as I said, you know, the cultural capital that the uh, Bodolok had uh, uh, has been stretched, and 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 it, for the last century or so, it has it has held uh, enormous power, which is what we call in one word hegemony. So, the, so the Bodolok had hegemony, right? But it doesn't have it is but hegemony without power, because today the the very epicenter of power is the economy is people who are becoming so-called entrepreneurs. Look at the universities, where I am been there for now 35 years teaching in universities, I, the only place I have ever worked. And I would have been shocked even 10 years ago if people said, well, the university has a duty to place its students in the market. I mean, what could, what's got the university to do with the market? The university right. is not a placement agency. Now, you're offering courses which are skill-based you know, based, and you're exploring skills rather than education. So it's changed. And you will have people who, you know, the universities, you know, the private universities are saying, you know, we empower our students to become entrepreneurs, right? So this is a new buzzword, right? People are, 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 are doing good uh, in the in the in the field, well, whether they are really doing good or not is not a question. Is the impression is that we are doing good in the field, and that there is merit in that. So we are not going to challenge inequalities. Now, one of the aspects of the Bhadralok, 
culture, which one of the aspects, I mean, one of the, uh, I would say, major source of the Bhadalog discourse comes from its political sense and its political sensibilities about equality, inequality, the idea of living a life, what it is to be, you know, uh, a, a human being with all its virtues and faults and foibles. And, and in, in that kind of a uh, world which was imagined, right? The idea of a scholar, uh, which to which many Bhattalok would have uh, moved over, uh, doesn't conform to what we are now doing in, 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 the, in the modern university or the contemporary university. Modern, we are already in modernity, but in contemporary universities. So I think the goalposts have been changed. And, and you've seen a decline of one kind of a social hegemony and I'm yeah. quite sure that it will be replaced by another kind of a hegemony. Another because, you know, right. Yes, nature abhors a vacuum. Right, right, right. I, I, I would just add there, um, mm. I agree, um, and, but I would say cultural, that kind of cultural power that has lasted for this long a period is yes. never going to vanish overnight. Completely. For, yes. for, other, for other people also, it remains aspirational in a certain sense. You want to Absolutely. enjoy that kind of cultural power over people's minds when you even though you, you might have you might have money power now or political power now. And that is evident from the fact shift that uh, you know we are having this discussion right here. And I assume I'm going to make an assumption about Professor Mukhabadha, but we are both Bhadralogs talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, talking. yeah, yeah. I, so, I you know, so, so we are still monopolizing this discussion, at least, which, <laughs> yes. which shows yes. that, you know, that this kind of, this kind of thing will not change uh, that quickly. I mean, this yes. is the Bhadralog, and the Bhadralog does not, you know, it's across all political parties, of, you know, so whether it's a Shapun Gupta writing an editorial somewhere, or it is a Buddha Babu in the Communists, or, or you know, even uh, one of uh, Trinamul's... Shogotorai uh, yeah. writing. They are at, at some level, parties still want that Bhadralok face to be out there because that's regarded as sort of genteel and you feel, um, you know, you feel like voters are still expecting that. So I think that power is definitely diminished in real terms. But the hold that it has over people's minds is still very still much there. Yeah, I agree with uh, Shandip. I mean, I, I, I mean, the very fact that Shandip was a good clue. Mamata writes poetry. Well, why would yeah. a person who writes poetry uh, and that kind of a poetry, <laughs> which we, which I still would say, uh, as a person who reads literature, uh, is not literature, all right? So why would she write that? Because I think that the social capital, she would like to be seen as also participation, participating in that social capital, uh, the rich tapestry of Bengali culture. So she's saying, I'm going, I've written so many books, I have I'm painted I, and all that. Yeah. Brownie points, are, the brownie points are there and, and, and all, nothing dies out. So I think it transforms itself into some kind of other, another thing which will emerge. So when we discuss, you know, uh, this decline of the uh, the dominance of Bengal in cultural field, you know, we discuss Satyajit way, but you know, in terms of writers and all that, is it because a very politi- It's a political idea. The state has been ruled by opposition for the past five decades. So you know, 
is it a way that the, when wherever this decline of bengal in terms of culture literature and politics come is it a very political idea as you know raised by opposition or something because the state has not been mainstream you know it it it, it has been a part of mainstream politics but opposition has ruled it for five six decades so what do you think about this you know whenever we discuss the decline this is a counter argument uh, to to the whole thing that there has been a decline and there is a decline no i mean for example let us say that once gokul said that what india thinks uh, tomorrow i mean bengal what bengal thinks today india will think tomorrow uh, and what, one of the interesting questions being asked in upsc runs when we were you know young people in the 80s in delhi uh, how do you defend that you don't defend that because you can't the idea is that you know after the independence the government had to be even handed did uh, give a lot of you know did a lot of distribution in areas where the british colonial powers had not touched so apart from the bengal presidency madras presidency and bombay presidency there was a, there was another huge india which the new india had uh, you know uh, emerged so in, in similar form you, you know i mean you you as i said you cannot carry on with one kind of uh, an inertia it has to change very importantly even if the congress was in power and even now that trinamool is there which is i mean I, I, as i said a very watered down opposition in that sense i mean there is something called identity which we were talking about a little while back we which marks these kind of places like you know like west bengal like assam like kerala like tamil nadu you know i mean you can have national national parties there but they would have characteristics of their own you know so that that identity vis-a-vis a hegemonic hindi belt so called hegemonic which i mean hegemonic because they have managed to erase bhojpuri maithili avadhi chatisgari so uh, and, and and impose hindi so so it looks a huge kind of uh, you know undifferentiated mass of hindi speakers which is not really in in linguistic terms but it does and therefore the more you hegemonize the hindi belt the more you would have people in bengal and in assam in tamil nadu in uh, in kerala in other parts who who would through national and state politics articulate a kind of identity so this opposition has two levels i mean one uh, are you are you distributing the goods and services equally which is also a kind of uh, argument which has been given center state relations and how do you talk about freight how do you talk about uh, oil etc look the assam movement started with oil you know you're taking our oil away you 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 taking our you know teak wood away so so you know resource our resource yeah. and and right, are you compensating right. for that and on the other hand you know my identity as a bengali i'm a bangla speaker am i going to get lost in the hindi heartland so so i, right, I understand right. so these, these 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 concerns are there right yeah uh, mr roy uh, yeah i would uh, we would just uh, you know uh, like your views on that yeah i think i i totally agree with what shrujit is saying here in that in the sense that um that the identity is very important as as the bjp learned in the last election uh, in bengal uh, but when they sort of miscalculated the amount of attachment they right. have to this identity and to go back to the larger topic of this discussion i think the bhadraluk played for better or for worse played an enormous role in shaping that identity 
the identity of what it means to be a Bengali today is largely has been created, formulated, shaped, articulated by Bhadralok. So when when uh, Mamata Banerjee rises up to defend uh, Bengal against she uses those same tropes from the identity. You know, she uses her Robindranath and her Vivekanando and her uh, Jagadish Bosch or whoever, those role. And she, she uses these icons, which were very much part of this Bhadralok milieu. Now, whether, as we said, if change is the only constant, whether there will be an identity of Bengal, which will define a new kind of Bhadralok, which will be a more encompassing one that which will be more reflective of the larger and more diverse reality of the state that remains to be seen and that's where it'll be the test to see if the Bhadralok identity is itself stuck in time or if there can be a Bhadralok that will evolve with the time and you know and will be include others and not necessarily be about a Bhadralok Chotolok divide anymore but just as a Bhadralok, as somebody who is somewhat more cosmopolitan, open to the world, you know, is able to think outside the box and all of those things that marked it at one time. Right. This new identity, what is at the core of it? Is politics at the core of it? Is uh, is, is political identity at the core of it? What, what do you think, you know, this evolution and this uh, loosening of earlier identities there? What, what forms the basis of it? Uh, what is the core of the you know, identity? Of course, politics. Yes. You know, everything Everything in this world is political. Whether whether that highway which goes next to my house would be, you know, widened or not widened, or whether, you know, I can get uh, cooking gas or in subsidy or I pay a higher price. Everything is politically decided. Now, that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is identities also impact politics, as I was saying. You know, when I say, you know, I'm from Bengal and I'm looking at uh, Hindi heartland, this is one kind of identity I want to articulate through my politics. But I also, I also feel that you know there are social sensibilities, the, the social capital, uh, which is which is being worked out, uh, which is the uh, also a com, uh, you know combines with the political and the economic, for example, and therefore the new identity that will um, emerge. Is also a new, you know, identity uh, which combines all of these. You know, technology. What about technology? Well, for example, you know, if you go to uh, the US today uh, or, the, or to England, an Indian is a techie. It's very interesting. The, the, the stereotype is that Indian is a techie. Uh, I lived in England in the in the nineties uh, when I was doing my doctoral research. And uh, no one would have thought that Indian is a techie. They would say in England, they would say, "Oh, are you from Uganda? Uh, are, are you are you from Kenya? I mean, are you those ones who were thrown out by Idi Amin Dada and others?" So you know, identity uh, is, is is essentially very political, but it's also very now technologically driven. So uh, you know, a new identity is being formed, and, and it's up in flux. That's number one. Number two is also the fact that, you know, we are living in a more globalized world, uh, which is much more complicated than a cosmopolitan world. You know, it, the Bhadrulok went to England, you know, went to England, came back, bar- barrister, uh, scientist, whatever, etc. That is what, that was one kind of 
a journey. But today's journey is very different. In a, in a globalized world, identities are impacted by things which we don't easily see in front of us, but we somehow, you know, uh, mimic, you know, there's a similar crash, we'd say. We're sitting in our you know, drawing room and, and, and watching uh, an American soap, you know. So, so it's, it's very difficult to say what is the core of the identity, Yes, but and the what identity will is what will emerge, yeah, what will especially with yeah, the new yeah. technology and artificial intelligence and etc. etc. But that right. it is in a flux and that it is that, not going to be the old story is what we can be certain about. Yes, that cannot be denied, right? Right, Mr. Roy, please. Yeah, um, I don't have very much to add to that, uh, which I think um, uh, has summed it up very nicely. All I will say is that. Um, you know, sometimes when we do discussions around what look, it is easy easy to beat up on them because they form such a prime yes. target. You know, the Bhadralok is <laughs> falling. For, you know, and and the mud mud from the world aside now coming on the spotless Rajduti is a very sort of tempting image. And to and to go back to um, your uh, original questionship also, yeah, definitely. I think some of what you know the fact that the opposition has been in power here has led to these uh, certain arguments about uh, how Bengalis were regarded. You know, some people would have would say that there are they were too snooty, they were too conceited. Uh, others would say, oh, I I think they're too intellectual and all of that. All of which are huge broad brush arguments. You know, there are all kinds of Bengalis as there are all kinds of everything else. But I think um, the biggest thing in terms of the the role of the Vajralok and whether it is declining. I think the Vajralok is still powerful, but I, the danger sometimes in this discussion is to think of it as a fossil and it doesn't necessarily have to be a fossil because the Vajralok was indeed the agent of enormous change that happened in, in Bengal. A lot of what has been triggered, you know, in, in a, it's funny because in some ways, when you look at the 19th century and early 20th century, the enormous change that came about here was because of the Bhadralok. And now, because of the way tides turn, the Bhadralok is often seen as the, the conservative person who is clinging, clinging on to the past and refusing to change with the time. So that is, I think, the ultimate sort of irony of the Bhadralok. Yes, yes. Right. So on this note, Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Roy. Thank you very much, Professor uh, Mukhopadhyay. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much, Shiv, for having us.